The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Just the same. Great to be here again, Father. Good to see you. Yes. Father, uh, any prayer requests to begin the program tonight, as usual? I could give you quite a list, you know, but... Uh... <clears throat> if you would simply pray for those that uh, I've mentioned in the past and also uh, add a few, a uh, few dozen actually. Uh, uh, but if you would uh, pray for those on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list, uh, that's pretty comprehensive. Uh, today, I just ask for prayers in particular for Blaze. Uh, little Blaze is home from the hospital and uh, I understand he's doing well, thank goodness. <clears throat> uh, that doesn't mean he's well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it means that he's not in danger at the moment, so uh, we're grateful for that. And thank you for your prayers. Uh, Blaze's family wants me to thank you for your prayers for him. <coughs> and also, uh, of course, Mr. and Mrs. Evans, I ask for prayers for both of them and uh, for Joe. Um, and uh, for Donna, and uh, I've mentioned their names in the past, but uh, I generally try to get the okay for that. But uh, as I say, Our Lady knows who they, who they are, and uh, you pray for them because I've asked. Uh, she will see to it that uh, her son, our Lord, is is uh, certainly brought. Uh, you know, you will, she will she will ask mercy for for them on our behalf from her son in heaven. So, please continue those prayers. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Okay. And also, of course, always pray for our country. Our country's in serious trouble right now, so mm -hmm. you have to pray for that and pray for uh, the triumph of the <clears throat> Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart, mm -hmm. always. Okay, lots to pray for, Father. There's a lot to pray for. Well, Father, uh, last week we had a, uh, I think, very profitable discussion uh, in regards to uh, the, the Catholic ideal of masculinity, and mm -hmm. um, we got uh, a decent amount of feedback from that program mostly mostly positive some negative we can we can get into that but um i know you had a few follow-up comments that you wanted to make father in regards to uh fathers acting as the spiritual head of their families yes the fathers actually have the responsibility before god to uh be this the spiritual leaders of their family right uh very often mothers are the ones who teach their children the prayers they teach them the words of the prayers and um that's a great service right there, right? But uh, I think the fathers ultimately are the ones who teach their children by example the importance of prayer. As the children grow older, if they see their mother prays but their father does not, it does make an impression on them. Uh, and it's not a good impression, uh, as though, especially for the boys who say, well, then prayer must be for girls, and I'm not a girl, I'm like dad, so... Um, <clears throat> Uh, prayer is for them, and it's not for me. It's not for guys. 
But um, if they all see their father praying, uh, praying fervently, praying devoutly, praying earnestly, and stressing the, the essential uh, place of prayer in their lives as a family and in, as individuals, they'll really um, learn from that example and it will make a deep impression on them. So uh, it's important that they all pray, it's important that mom prays, uh, but the place of dad praying in the family, with the family, for the family, and actually leading the family in prayer is, is essential, really, to have a good Catholic family life. You know? um, <clears throat> there is an impediment uh, to marriage in the church, uh, an impediment disparity of, uh, of religion, um, meaning that you have a Catholic who wants to marry a, as basically a Protestant, okay? Uh, and what the church understands by that is someone who believes in baptism, baptism and is baptized, um, um, but they are not of the Catholic faith. And um, that uh, impediment would uh, prevent a Catholic from marrying a non-Catholic uh, Protestant <coughs> um, uh, legally uh, in order to make such a marriage legal and allowed in the Catholic Church, there would have to be a dispensation, traditionally. And uh, there's another impediment uh, called disparity of worship. Uh, that involves a Catholic wanting to marry someone who is not baptized, who does not believe in baptism, who is from a basically a, a non-Christian sect, right, <clears throat> of some religion. And... Um, for example, if a Catholic were to want to marry a Muslim or a, a Zoroastrian or a Buddhist or a Jewish person or whatever, that don't believe in Christ, don't believe in baptism, that would be disparity of worship. And that would mean that they could not validly marry that person without a dispensation from the church. And a Catholic cannot marry validly outside the church in any case. Uh, the Catholic would have to, uh, to have enter a valid marriage, uh, would have to be married before a Catholic priest. And uh, the only way that could possibly happen is if, this is traditionally speaking, uh, if, the, uh, if the church would grant a dispensation. The, the diriment impediment, we think of the word diriment, D-I-R, dire, that would, that diriment impediment would render a marriage between a Catholic and a non-baptized person to be invalid, as well as illegal, of course. <clears throat> unless that were lifted. And the church would grant that in, uh, dispensation only for very, very serious reasons, traditionally. Um, the prohibiting impediment of a Catholic marrying a, a Protestant um, who would have been baptized in a Protestant sect, um, again, that would make it illegal, but... Um, the church is against that too. The church is against what we'd call mixed marriages. And it all really uh, does involve this question of the father being the leader of the, uh, of the faith in the family. And um, if you have a mixed marriage where the, the man, uh, the husband, the father, is not a Catholic, and he's supposed to be the spiritual head of the family, you've got a very serious problem uh, going right 
right uh, right from the start, right? Affecting the family right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be impossible for him to be the spiritual head of the family if he's not even of the faith. And, um, but had to make promises in order to be married to a Catholic woman in, a, in the Catholic Church that he would raise, the, see to it that all the children are raised as Catholics. And he himself is not, and is not practicing the Catholic faith. There may be hope that he would convert to the Catholic faith in the future, but that's a hope. It's, it's not a fact at that time. And so immediately you have the whole order of, of just leadership of the family uh, just distorted in the, in the eyes of the Catholic Church. Now there are those who, who would blame the Church for that and say, well, you're just anti you're just anti-everybody but Catholic, you know. Um, but the fact is the Catholic Church believes, or believed, I, no, the true Catholic Church, the traditional Catholic Church, not the Novus Ordo, okay? But when I say the Catholic Church, I mean the real Catholic Church, the traditional Catholic Church, uh, believes that it was established by the one true Son of the one true God. It is the one true religion, the one true Church, and uh, it teaches the one true faith. There are people who don't like to hear that today, but let's face it, why would you bother with any religion that couldn't say that, right? Why would any anybody who styles himself Christian in any sense want anything to do with a, a religious body that could not say that? I mean, you'd think that that would be exactly what you would want to hear, exactly what you would expect to hear from the one true church established by the one true Savior. Right, that exact point. Uh, so, um, if if pagans don't like that, well, we would can understand they don't like that because they don't appreciate and often they hate our Lord. But why anybody who would style himself a Christian would find that offensive? You'd think that's exactly what they would hope for uh, and demand of any religion, <laughs> yeah. of any religious uh, body they would embrace. Uh, but in any case, um, the point is the church says this and acts this way. The church actually acts as though she believes. The traditional Catholic church actually acted upon that belief and was consistent with that belief that it is the one true church and that it is beholden to our Lord Jesus Christ for what she is and what she has. And she can't negotiate this because it comes from Christ, Christ himself. Uh, she can't negotiate it. She can't uh, compromise on it. Uh, she will live with it or die for it. But this is what the true church does uh, out of allegiance to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the Catholic Church has always done. So uh, when the church has these impediments um, to marriage, it, it really is to protect, to protect people. It's to protect their own Catholic children, her own Catholic people against entering bad marriages uh, that are torn apart by, uh, you know, disparity of faith and uh, exposes the children to all kinds of danger because it is the faith that first unites us to our Lord and gives us hope then of everlasting life. If the church takes that seriously, uh, then you should see that as a, uh, a tribute to the church and you should admire the church and love the church for that reason, mm -hmm. for taking it seriously. And those who uh, are offended because the church takes it seriously are the very people who would be offended by our Lord, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of old. 
<clears throat> this kind of helps, helps us to understand why it's so essential in the eyes of the church and the eyes of Catholics that the father and the mother be united in faith. The most important uh, ideas governing our lives are to be found there. Um, the very souls of their children are defined by what we know of faith, by what Jesus Christ has taught us. And when the father and mother don't agree on the purpose of life, uh, the purpose of being married, uh, the purpose of giving life, having children, raising the children, when they don't agree on the very fundamental purpose of these things, the very fundamental meaning of these things, how are they supposed to become two in one flesh, as uh, Genesis chapter 3 tells us? How are they supposed to be of one mind and one heart when they don't share the same faith and what, uh, what their very existence is all about, you know, what their very lives are all about? That's a very serious issue. The Catholic Church has always taken it very seriously. That's why she has these impediments. It has to do with the position of the father in the home. And th uh, that is one very, very strong reason why the church <clears throat> wants to be sure that the children to be born to the marriage have Catholic parents who have the same faith and are united in faith. And that the father can be a real spiritual leader in his family. Um, rather than, uh, you know, the father and the mother uh, either being at conflict, religious, in, in religious conflict with each other for influence over the children, or eventually just not caring anymore and adopting a, a, a position of religious indifference, indifferentism entirely. Um, so sometimes you have a mixed religion marriage where the children feel this is almost like a matter of choosing between dad and mom. Or dad and mom are vying for our allegiance, you know, to follow them in their religious or lack of religious convictions. <clears throat> or the parents have just uh, surrendered entirely their faith. And then the kids grow up with the idea, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares, you know? Um, which is worse? I think the religious indifference is the worst of all. Um, you know, our Lord says, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth, right? And um, there are those who care about our Lord very much. They either love him or they hate him. Time comes when those who hate him can be converted to love, but they, at least when they hate him, they give him the honor of existing, and they consider him to be formidable, uh, even a formidably adversary, but someone who's indifferent has an attitude of, of complete contempt for God as though it didn't matter whether he existed or not, who cares, as though he meant nothing to them. I think that's a worse, even a, a greater insult to God. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so in any case, but this is the kind of thing that you'll run into all too often in a mixed religion family, uh, where the, the children are conflicted by this difference, or the parents have simply given up entirely matters of faith. The father is called by God to be the religious leader of his family. That's the Catholic concept, and that's what the Catholic father will be. Okay. Very good. Thank you for that explanation, mm -hmm, Father. Certainly. And uh, in response to our last program, I wanted to uh, read one of the emails that we received, some excerpts from it at least, and get your response to this. Um, a viewer who says that... Uh, 
I think Father Jenkins was far too easy on today's women in the last program. Uh, he says, I think the Father has no idea how toxic, insolent, and ungovernable are most of today's women. Even many quote-unquote traditionalist women now have the Jezebel spirit and are thus thoroughly intransient, incorrigible, intractable, and indeed psychotic. Uh, he explains that he uh, had to walk away from several relationships because of this, and he says, in my experience, the toxicity of today's women, even quote-unquote traditional Catholic women, cannot be overstated. Uh, your response to that, Father, do you think that you are far too easy on today's women? I am totally naive. I have no concept of what's going on out there in the world. And um, I wear blinders uh, on the airplanes when I'm uh, running through the airports. And uh, um, I see nothing, hear nothing, and, uh, and say nothing. <laughs> Um, but it might shock our friend here, who's probably very young, I imagine, probably a young man. Well, he says he's had to uh, flee from some toxic relationships. Um, so I, I get the impression that uh, he's um, had his uh, share of encounters that were uh, very unpleasant. Um, believe me, I, I actually have had plenty uh, of experience with um, these toxic women that I deal with when I travel um, as fellow passengers on airplanes uh, and um, also in uh, well, any number of other capacities. So, um, But, you know, if uh, I, I don't think that our friend here was really understanding what I was saying. I was talking about someone in a Catholic marriage I was talking about a man in a Catholic marriage, the kind of man he should be to be a husband and a father, and telling basically more the women what they should be looking for in a man that they want to marry. I mean, I think if he went back and listened to the program again, I think he'd understand what I'm saying here. And um, so I'm not talking about women in general. I'm talking about women who are looking for a, a, a real man, and I mean by that a real Catholic man to marry, to be their husband and to be the father of their children. There are certain qualities that they should look for. Um, and basically I was all telling them that they should look for a man who can lead. They should marry a vertebrate. They should marry a man who has a vertebra, who has a backbone, who has a spine. And they should want a man like that who can lead. So I'm sorry that he completely missed the point. <laughs> um, but what I was saying there was not only to the young men that this is what they must be, um, but uh, I was saying that basically to the young ladies too, that they should want a man like that, who can, uh, who can lead and whom they can respect. Um, so, I don't know, I, I guess I'm puzzled why he came away with this uh, um, completely, but I consider to be rather off-base interpretation of what I was saying. Mm -hmm. But Tom, you were there. Something tells me you probably uh, remember something of that program. What, what, what are your impressions of what I said and your impressions of what he's saying, um, what he's saying I said or didn't say? Well, he says that you're too easy on today's women. Um, 
in general. I don't think that you were talking about today's women in general. Like you said, you the discussion was about Catholic masculinity, and we were talking about, like you said, Catholic marriages. So um, I don't think, as I recall, any point in the program really we were talking about um, today's women and men in general. I think they, uh, the discussion was more focused on Catholic, Catholic men and, and Catholic women. So um, I think, of course, we would both agree there's definitely some problems with, uh, with both men and women uh, in general in the world. Today. Well, and traditional Catholic men and women, too. Yeah, of course. There are traditional Catholic men who are afraid to lead, and there are traditional Catholic women who are afraid to, who resent being led or finding a man who would lead, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, his, his point is also that there are many traditional Catholic women yeah. who are that way. They're affected by by this tendency, and my point to them was, find a man who will lead and be willing to respect mm -hmm. him and lead. I mean, the, the title was, uh, marry one you respect and respect the one you marry, right? Yeah. So that seemed to be, what, what, I mean, what, what advice would you give that, that gentleman? I have, I have some advice to give myself, and oh. I know what I would tell him, but what, what are the impressions you've gotten about the circles he's traveling in or shall we say uh, searching in for mm -hmm. uh, well I, I don't i don't know about his circles father but i can uh say by and large the traditional catholic women that i have experience with and encounter uh here in our parish are certainly uh do not fit this bill i think they're very edifying and <clears throat> wonderful women for the most part but um i think it's not uncommon father to encounter um, especially young young people in the world today who have uh, kind of like a very bitter mindset almost, and this is not an uncommon sentiment. I don't think where you hear things like this that um, you know I could I could never get married because all the women or all the men out there are just terrible. And well, does that sound bitter to you? I think so, Father. Oh, okay. yeah, I think so. So it's, it sounds bitter, and I think um, anyone with that mindset is um, never going to be very successful. So I would say. Uh, Need to do so you would tell him mindset. to come here and meet some of our young ladies, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that would be And you think he might start. be pleasantly surprised? I would hope so. Mm -hmm. But you would agree, I assume, that there are traditional Catholic young ladies oh, who are tainted with the spirit of the world. Of course. Right? Of course. And we know that, right? Yes, sir. It sounds like he's had uh, uh, encounters, you know, he's encountered uh, a, quite a, a string of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> of these um, would-be relationships that have been toxic. Yeah. And uh, that's unfortunate, but um, he can learn from this experience, too. He can learn uh, in advance before getting involved with somebody. He can learn, you know, perhaps uh, to recognize these tendencies already. Yeah. But I, I guess I would tell him, look, you know, thank goodness you recognize that whatever relationship you've, you've tried to develop here, was not going to work because you saw uh, character traits here that were not conducive to having a traditional Catholic family uh, to, you know, in a young woman who would not be a good traditional Catholic wife for you. And uh, when you want, want to be a real traditional Catholic husband and lead, okay? I don't, I don't know that anything I said last week would go contrary to what he thinks a Catholic husband and a Catholic father should be, uh, because it was all about them taking the lead and um, showing real, you know, Catholic character and faith. So I don't, he's not, he's not pointing out that I can see any 
disagreement in what I'm painting, the picture I'm painting, of what a traditional Catholic man, husband, and father should be. If they, the agreement, disagreement he seems to latch on to is that I'm saying uh, that there are women out there who want a real man yeah. and a real Catholic man and a real Catholic husband and a real Catholic father for their, for their, um, for their children. And I'm not saying that the world is full of these people, <laughs> quite the contrary. I'm not saying even the churches, our traditional Catholic churches are full of these people. But I'm saying that, that there are women, young women who are like that and who really want a true Catholic man. Uh, and I stress the word Catholic and I stress the word man. And uh, a true Catholic husband and want a true Catholic father for their children. And it's a matter of finding them. Doesn't sound like he's having an awful lot of success. But um, if he's uh, going to give up, well, uh, maybe it's not his vocation um, because perseverance is one of the manly characteristics. If he believes it's his vocation, he's got to believe that also God will give the graces of his, for his perseverance, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we'll keep him in our prayers and... Um, you know, uh, invite him to come to Immaculate Conception where we have a, a plethora <laughs> of right. true uh, Catholic young women with a true Catholic spirit who want to be the true Catholic wives and true Catholic mothers that he's looking for. Mm -hmm. right. You guarantee it, right? I guarantee it. Okay. Okay. Or your money back. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we're, not gotta, we're not charging for that. just got to... Watch out for the Jezebel spirit. Right, so, that's um, right. Well, uh, there's a good advice in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, um, another email, Father, I think, uh, on the same topic, uh, related related vein here. One of our uh, viewers wanted to um, kind of get your opinion on, on one Andrew Tate, Father. Um, he's, he's been in the news a lot lately, and um, just uh, kind of in, in general, this... Um, the, calls him this social media celebrity who is uh, kind of a very, I guess what you would call toxic, toxic uh, masculinity, espouses that. And um, this viewer, though, um, is asking for advice on how, how you would uh, prevent a child from being influenced by these uh, social media celebrities who may have this false um, worldly view or worldly idea of what masculinity actually looks like. So what would you do to uh, protect your children from, from someone like this Andrew Tate or any of these other? Well, you probably are more familiar with Andrew Tate than I am. Maybe. I, I saw a little bit of his uh, performance, um, an interview with him. Mm. And he impressed me as being just kind of a cocky, arrogant sort of individual and associates that with being with manhood, right? Yeah. And, um, I mean, he certainly rejects that uh, wet noodle type of limp, yeah. wimpy sort of attitude of the new man, the new age man. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the other extreme is, is, is terrible, too. I mean, um, sometimes the extremes feed off each other. <clears throat> and... Um, if he is going to present an idea of manhood as the barbarian man, then we can't endorse that in any way, too. We have to, uh, we have to recognize the danger of that, 
you know, our young men uh, are rebelling against this modern world, which is basically telling them that they have to surrender their masculinity um, to get in touch with their feminine side, as they used to say, uh, and um, to conduct themselves more as feminine than masculine. They talk about toxic masculinity. Uh, the fact that they talk about it, though, this shouldn't provoke just a knee-jerk reaction in us, saying that there is no such thing as toxic masculinity. There is, uh, but it's not really masculinity. It's a, a facade yeah. of great bravado and uh, basically being a, a braggart and being a uh, obnoxious uh, fellow who uh, does, does not really take re necessarily take responsibility for his behavior. Um, he thinks a life of promiscuity makes him a man. I mean, the modern sports figures often uh, exude this very attitude, you know. I've got the fast cars, I've got all the, the, the women, I've got all this and that. The other thing, I'm living the high life, and that makes me a man, and you should admire my masculinity in having all these things. This doesn't make a man a man. Not at all. I mean, you know... It's, in other words, it actually might keep him from being a man and just keep him on the level of a boy. That's how a boy sees what a man should be, as, you know, having all these things. It's not so much a matter of who he is, as a matter of what he has. <clears throat> and um, this, this, I gather that this Andrew Tate does not promote the same concept of manhood, like the knight, right, uh, of chivalry that we talked about last week. Right. <laughs> That's what I gather. So. Yeah. Well, the question here then is, how do we protect our boys against it? Yeah. Well, let's face it, Tom. I mean, the only way you can protect your boys against a false, misleading, and toxic concept, a, a false concept of masculinity and manhood, is to give them the true concept of masculinity and the true concept of manhood. Where do we find it? We find it in our faith. We find it in sacred scripture. We find it in our Catholic tradition. We find it in the, in the lives of the saints. We find that concept of what the true Catholic man is. That's why I was talking about the knights, because the knights epitomized that Catholic concept of who a, knight, a man is and what it is to be truly masculine. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned all the virtues, the knightly virtues that were expected of a man who they whose hand they put a sword in and they put on a horse and uh, call, uh, and given the mission to go defend the defenseless and spend yourself uh, for, you know, serving God. Um, the, uh, you know what comes to mind when I, when I hear the name Andrew Tate now, and by the way, I, I think he's been imprisoned in Romania right now, right? Yeah. Probably at the instigation of some, I don't know who is behind this, but uh, I think he's being charged with trafficking or something like that. Do I think it's true? I, I don't know, but I, I, I think it might well not. I think they might just want to somehow disgrace him and put him out of circulation. There are a lot of people who don't like his message because he's having an influence. <clears throat> but I, I don't know that that influence is necessarily good either. You've heard of Ayn Rand, right? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if you've ever listened to what she had to say. Just recently, um, I actually was listening to an interview of Ayn Rand by uh, Mike uh, Wallace, I think it was. Uh, this was quite some time ago uh, that this interview was, was made, and uh, I never actually heard her speak for herself. In the interview, though, uh, she condemns this human altruism and says it should be every man for himself. That's what it should be. She says this, this altruism of spending yourself for the good of others is, is evil. She says it's evil to be like that. Um, and uh, she's an atheist, right? Of course, she would deny uh, our Lord. I guess she would see the idea of him, the Son of God himself coming and being crucified for us as our sacrifice to redeem us would be, the, in her mind, the ultimate evil like the ultimate altruism. But when I was watching this uh, interview with uh, Andrew Tate, it kind of made this connection between, like, it's every man for himself, and get what you can, and, uh, you know, don't let anybody um, get in your way, essentially, right? Or uh, divert you from whatever self-serving goals you have. Um, it, it, it all seems to get back to um, existentialism, the existentialist philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre, another atheist, uh, who said that it's up to everyone, every individual must create himself by using his own will to make decisions. And as long as he can make the decisions according to his own will, without being in any way influenced or coerced or... Um, uh, as long as he's free to make his own decisions for himself, that's when he's human. And to the extent that he allows any other interests to, well, let's say, direct or impede the, the absolute free use of his own will, to that extent he's not free and he's not human. And um, all of this seems to hang together, this, this atheistic idea that it's every man for himself, you create yourself, uh, by using your own will and serving yourself. And it's, it's one big free-for-all, um, like playing king of the mountain. You know? uh, that is very evil. I mean, this is satanic. The other side is satanic, too. I mean, you've got these satanic extremes here. And um, they're trying to, you know, somehow crumb together and crush, <laughs> you know, and draw everybody between the, to the one or the other. So um, the only way to uh, avoid either one <clears throat> is to do what the Catholic Church does. Case in point, the Arian heresy denied that Jesus Christ is truly God. The Arian heresy taught that Jesus Christ is a great creature, but only a creature, and um, is worthy of our reverence and our respect like a great prophet, like the Muslims might say. But, uh, but he's not God. To counter that, there was a, an anti-heresy which went to the other extreme. It says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It was never truly man. So they denied, began to deny his humanity. And these uh, denials took various forms, monothelitism, monophysitism. They tried to somehow impede or impair the actual humanity of our Lord. Some would even say that our Lord came, that uh, the Son of God did not actually become man, he just possessed a man, 
uh, or that he came as in a disguise, you know. But there was no real incarnation where God became man. Um, the these are two extremes to deny that Jesus Christ was truly God, or to not say he was God but not man, are two extremes, and they're both evil. They're both heresies, and the church does not react by going to an opposite extreme because somebody says a false statement. The church does not just react to it. She responds to it. She responds to it from her faith, refuting it. And she'll be responding to both of those heresies coming from her in two different directions. So today, we have to learn from the wisdom of the church that you, even though you have an extreme here, the, the correct response to it is not to simply go to the other extreme. That's not a response. That's just a reaction. That's like an irrational reaction. The correct thing to do is to address both sides, both extremes, and to state the truth. Uh, unfailingly. And both sides will be attacking you, like running the gauntlet. But the church has always been willing to do that for our Lord, to be faithful to him, to stay the course. And that's what we have to do when it comes down to this question of uh, what, it, what it really is to be a man today. We have to set that example. Fathers are desperately needed to set the example of real manual, manly, masculine leadership of their families. They have to be willing to use the God-given authority they have. And they have to use it out of love for God and out of love for their wives and out of love for their children. And that love has to make them strong. Uh, it has to be strong enough um, that they will never forget, not even for an instance, their love for God, their love for their wives, their love for their children, and they will be strong for them. And they will give them what they need. And if the children are clamoring and clamoring for poison, because it tastes good. The father is strong enough to say, no, you can't have that. And the child might say, well, I hate you. And you, the father may say what St. Paul said, well, loving you more, I be loved less, but I love you that much more. I'm not going to do it. I'm willing, I'm willing to have that happen for your good. <laughs> and I will stand my ground on the basis of what I know is right and good and pleasing to God and best for you. And we desperately need men like that right now who will stand their ground um, and, and, and firmly not uh, compromise with the world and not flinch um, at what the world around them hurls at them or what even their children are hurling at them, right? They have to be able to stand their ground there. So we have to pray for, for fathers like that. If they do, if the fathers actually set that example of nobility, and it really is a matter of nobility, Right, <clears throat> they will have their wives' respect. They will have their children's respect because the wives and the children will know that they are loved, <clears throat> that their their husband and their and their uh, father loves them, and is willing to um, take the brunt of the storm, even if it comes from them. Sometimes, stand the ground on the basis of love, um, and that that ultimately is going to triumph in them, and they, they will learn what it is to be a man. All too often, if they don't learn from their fathers what it is to be man, what it is to be masculine, 
what it is to be a Catholic gentleman. They don't learn it from their fathers. You have to wonder where on earth they're going to learn it. Who else is going to be teaching them what it is to be a man? It's a scary thought. Their fathers have to teach them by example. Yes, Father. <clears throat> Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, well, that means you, Tom. Uh, yes, Father. <laughs> I see that. Well, um, one, uh, a- another thing we, w- we wanted to mention on tonight's program, some of our viewers wanted you to, to comment on the, uh, the Grammy Awards from last night, which I'm sure... Uh, oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Let me know how to, how to uh, transition into this, but there, there was uh, um, apparently... Well, we're sounding an alert here now, right? Yeah. Talk about There the, are those um, who wanted us to say that this... <laughs> yeah, not safe for children. No. Um, well, there, there was one... Um, Sam Smith, father, a, uh, should I say, quote-unquote music, quote-unquote artist, um, who performed last night at the Grammy Awards, I guess, and um, apparently was, this was a very uh, satanic, overtly satanic ritual, essentially, that uh, that was uh, performed through uh, during during one of their so-called songs that, that, uh, that Sam Smith and someone else performed. But... Um, there, there was talk leading up to this father, where I guess this, this Sam Smith fellow was, um, was bragging about this, um, apparently saying that um, it was that uh, he said something to the effect that Satan will be there at the Grammys, and uh, there will be complaints, and CBS will be called over this. Um, that you know, to try and jump up some. So it was all deliberate. It was very deliberate. It was intentional but, um, provocation. I understand CBS even uh, emailed. Uh, the start of the program, we are ready to worship. They, they tweeted that. The official, they tweeted, we are ready the, to worship. Yes, rather, the, the official CBS Twitter account. So they, I think it was in response to a, to a tweet from Sam Smith where he mm-hmm. asked his, his fans, are, are you ready? Are you ready for this performance? And they mm-hmm. replied and said, yes, we are, we are ready. We are ready to worship. Okay. <laughs> and so, so many were asking, well, um, who well, what, it was satanic what worship. are you worshiping? It actually was satanic worship. Yeah. <clears throat> Forming the circle and the whole routine. You know, but I mean the uh, uh, various uh, rock groups have also performed these ceremonies. People just didn't recognize them, <clears throat> right? I mean, th- th- there was at least one case of uh, one of the singers leading a uh, a ritual in which he was actually invoking to be uh, asking Satan to take possession of him. A very famous rock band. It happened years ago. I went on stage in front of thousands of people. He was actually um, going through the ritual uh, defined by Alistair, Alistair Crowley um, to invoke Satan to take possession of him. Uh, this is, it's, it's, it goes back to being satanic worship. But, you know, Tom, it's about time we just get used to the idea that the, the modern so-called entertainment industry is thoroughly in the clutches of Satanists right now. Uh, there are uh, films that are that are made that are truly, you know, inspiring, uh, but they're not being controlled by the movers and shakers in the in the in the industry, uh, so-called industry. I mean, in, what is an industry? An industry produces some product that's of value, right? Uh, music industry? What's that? It's like an abortion industry, right? What is that? Anymore, it's an abortion clinic. What does it produce? It produces a dead baby and a mother who uh, has disgraced her motherhood and defiled her motherhood and will be on the way to hell for it. 
God forbid, but these things uh, are called, in, that's what they call industries now, you know. Uh, they produce filth, you know, they produce excrement, unfortunately. And so much of that is what we see handed out now as entertainment, and this is what people want. They, they, they uh, but I, some people, many people, are willing to pay, pay precisely for this depravity. Um, I mean, should we forget that the Beatles are the ones who started this? Uh, well, it's, I, I can't say they started it, but they certainly were the major impulse to the sec, to the uh, to the drug the drug culture, so called. They call it a culture now too, um, but you can culture bacteria like you can culture uh, you know something deadly, and that's what they do. That's in that sense you'd call it a, a culture, a drug culture. Uh, I mean, back in the sixties. Uh, they were actually promoting the drug culture. And there came along, uh, you know, the Beach Boys, the Rolling Stones, and all of them. Uh, they were all very much, uh, very deeply, deeply involved in and heavily promoting the drug culture. In fact, there's a book, uh, Turn Off Your Mind, that someone gave me a uh, copy of some time ago by Gary Lockman. I think Gary. Gary, well, I don't know if the name is Lachman or it's spelled L-A-C-H-M-A-N, Gary Lachman, I guess, or Latchman, uh, who himself was a member of that. He was, he was involved in this culture, a uh, member of a rock band back then, uh, Turn Off Your Mind. And uh, it's a very interesting expose of the history of this whole period of uh, the rise of this modern culture. Uh, it's called The Mystic Sixties and the Dark Side of the Age of Aquarius. And they have uh, rather interesting information here uh, concerning the Beatles, concerning the, uh, the Beach Boys, uh, by somebody who was actually involved with them, uh, socially involved, you know, and musically involved. In fact, I'd, I'd like to read some pages from this, but I won't uh, right now. But, I mean, he talks about uh, the Beach Boys, even and involvement, some of the Beach Boys' involvement with, uh, with uh, the one called The Wizard, who was actually Charles Manson, and how they were all partying together and smoking pot together or whatever else they were doing together. Um, and they were actually all involved in the same social circles together and uh, interacting with each other and influencing each other. So I think the book actually is a real eye-opener for somebody who wants to say, well, where did all this come from and where, where did all this start? I see where it's going now. Uh, but the oranges, origins of it uh, might remain somewhat obscure. Is that the year 2001 time? I think it is. Yes, Father. Okay. 2001. So this book was published in 2001. Yeah. I had to ask you because it's very <laughs> small print. My eyes are very poor. Um, so anybody who really wanted to investigate to under, better understand what's going on, in, understand also the satanic roots of this, uh, the influence of Aleister Crowley and other Satanists, Gurdjieff and all the rest in their occultism, uh, the author here really lays that out very well. So that by the time you're done reading this, uh, 
And uh, it is rather extensive. I mean, he goes on for 300 and almost, well, over 400 pages. Um, and uh, he kind of gives a blow-by-blow -blow development of this, this whole uh, satanic culture. Uh, which has spawned this uh, satanic um, industry, music industry, entertainment industry we see today. Mm. It's interesting reading. Um, and it, it puts it all together. Um, it might be actually of help for some of our college students to read this so that they understand what they're dealing with uh, in its origins. Uh, there's also a website which I hesitate to mention because there's so much sordid on it, but it's trying to denounce the sordid, sordidness in the modern entertainment industry. It's called The Vigilant Citizen. And uh, actually, they already have a write-up on that, uh, the Music Awards and what happened there uh, with this Sam Smith and this Kim Prevost or whatever her name is. These are all gender-fluid people or trans people. And that's very much a part of the satanic, uh, the satanic worship. Totally. And uh, this explodes on the scene. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen it uh, on the introductory ceremonies for the Olympics. The Satanism, overt Satanism going on there. I mean, who was it who came on stage to, prevent, to uh, present uh, these people, you know? It, it was this uh, so-called Madonna creature, right? <laughs> With her new face, right? With her new plastic face, right? Frightening, you know, scary. I guess they find that beautiful. Uh, the, the weird, the twisted, the artificial. Now that's the modern standard of beauty, I guess. Uh, if you want to see something hideous, go look at the front doors of, of the uh, St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. Take a look at those doors that John the Twenty-Third put there and that Paul the Sixth put there, and you'll see what hideousness is. This is what they find beautiful now, but it's uh, it's what Satan finds, finds beautiful: the twisted, the macabre, the distorted, um, even the excruciating, right? Um, but the, uh, so in other words, what they put on for these awards, the other night, the music awards, it's not something new. It just gets more and more blatant and more and more brazen. And they're, they're looking now, not in any way to mask what they're doing. <clears throat> uh, they're, they're looking to confront and to, to, uh, to provoke. No, that's a, so it's not more blatant, but it is more brazen. I'll, I guess I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. What should that tell us? Uh, well, what is the Satanic Temple just announced uh, that they're doing out in New Mexico? Starting a free abortion clinic. Uh, and to, to come to uh, have an abortion at their free abortion clinic, all you have to do is start by going through this little ceremony of worshiping Satan and you get a free abortion. This is the way it's going right now. Uh, that's what the, you know, the New World Order is really all about. That's what it's all about. It's about ushering in uh, the Antichrist. They're trying to usher in the reign of, reign of Satan here in the world. What should that mean for you?
Should that terrify you? Should that, uh, uh, you know, make you fearful uh, and uh, timid? Uh, what should it do? What kind of a, a response do you think the traditional Catholic man should, should make to that challenge? Because it is a challenge. Lift up your heads. <laughs> right. Lift up your voices, right? Okay. Lift up your arms, right? In a sense, right? In other words, it, sh it should uh, actually make our blood boil, in a sense. But blood, not, uh, blood boiling not with fury, irrational fury, but with uh, a love for God and a determination uh, that this, this shall not pass, as the saying goes, right? That we are not going to take this lying down. We'll, we'll take it kneeling down, and then we'll get up and we'll fight this battle, right? So the first place it should find us is on our knees, but on our knees to be knighted, right? To be knighted, to stand up with that sword and to fight that battle. We have to do that. So it should bring the man out of every one of us, right? The Catholic man, it should hearken to whatever, whatever trace of Catholic man there is still in any of us. It should uh, so uh, be like the, the sound of a trumpet, you know, calling us to battle. Um, so, you, you know, people these days react to these things sometimes by thinking, oh my goodness, how will I protect my children and my family when these things are all happening, you know? I have to go and hide somewhere. Well, wait a minute. The best way you have to protect your, your wife and your children is to fight the battle. Not to run from it, but to stand up and fight for it. You have to teach them to fight for what is right, right? Not to just keep running and hiding, recover. So, uh, I mean, this is a man's place, right? So, you know, I would think that when uh, our Catholic men hear of things or see things like you're describing there, uh, that their first reaction is, oh, no, you know, this is so scary. I would think that their first reaction would be, this cannot happen. This will not be allowed, you know. Um, and that they would be uh, like uh, soldiers awakened from sleep at least uh, awakened from some kind of a worldly stupor and saying, no, you know, this is the time for, uh, this is the time for a, a true man to uh, stand on his feet and to declare war against the powers of hell. Mm -hmm. And what does it tell you, Father, that these uh, Grammy Awards last night were sponsored by uh, Pfizer? Well, Tom, there you go. I mean, you summed it up right there. Sponsored by Pfizer. What does that tell you? What are they doing to us, and what are they doing with all the money they're making no. from us? And all too often, at the end of a, a, a government decree demanding that we, you know, um, again, that's all part of the battle, isn't it? You see that, right? And when it was all said and done, right, immediately the Pfizer name came right up, saying, "All of this is brought to you by Pfizer." And you know what? The first thing I think of is, well, they came up with that mRNA poison to inject in your veins. And here, they put this here to stick in your mind. 
they want to stick this. No, no, they're not going to go through the veins for this one. They're sticking this poison right into your imagination, right? Mainlining it right into your brain. And um, I'm sure no Catholic parent would allow his children to view the, these things, right? Uh, and no Catholic parent probably would be watching either, except to say, okay, what's this all about? Um, because my children are tempted to listen to the music put out, so-called music put out by these people. My children are tempted to go online and look at the videos, music videos put out by these perverts, perverted people. And so maybe a Catholic parent would say, I need to know what's happening here so I can tell my children what's happening, so I can arm them against it. It's a sad task for a parent to have to do that today, but they have to know, right? Um, this is one of the t tasks the, the Vigilant Citizen website is trying to, trying to, to, to fill, as it were, to bring to the attention of the public and especially, you know, the people who oppose this evil, what is going on in the so-called entertainment industry, how perverted it is, and how it's something that we must protect the young people from and, and not allow them to be drawn into it. Um, so, uh, as I say, there's a lot of uh, sordid material on there, um, but at least they tell you it is sordid material. They don't try to make it look attractive. Yeah. They don't try to make the poison taste good. They try to tell you, this is poison. This is what really is toxic. Um, so, in any case, again, true Catholic masculinity is called to valor and courage by these things. Not intimidated by them, but wants to rise to the occasion and do battle. Say, I will resist this with every fiber in my being and every ounce of faith in my heart and soul. So, that's what we have to do, right? Amen. Marshal the forces, especially the forces of prayer. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Father. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time and everything else that you do. Oh, you're, you're welcome, Tom. And uh, again, I'd say if any young man is out there, out there is wading through the, uh, the toxic, uh, <coughs> the, <laughs> the toxic pool of... Uh, of uh, Jezebel's, Jezebel's yeah. <clears throat> or uh, the the minefield, trying to pick his way through the minefield out there. Um, I, I will use your endorsement of our young young ladies here to say, gentlemen, you're welcome to come and visit us here. Announce yourselves. Let us know you're here, <laughs> and uh, um, perhaps you will find that uh, you know you can realize your vocation here too. Absolutely. So. Right. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. God bless you, Father. God bless you, Tom. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Do Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.